Hello, everyone, and welcome to another year of When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. I want to open by wishing you all a very happy new year and a great year ahead. I thought it would be so nice to start the new year with a heartwarming success story. This is the rags to riches journey of a Portuguese Roman Catholic immigrant to Canada named Braulio Rocha, who just five years ago was a humble janitor at a Jewish synagogue. But one day, Rocha, an amateur photographer, seized a rare opportunity to trade in his mop for a camera to shoot a bris when the real photographer was a no-show. It was one of the most consequential moments of a life filled with adversity. That bris led to other brises and bar mitzvahs, and today Rocha has become the bar mitzvah photography king of Montreal, as proclaimed in a lovely recent New York Times profile. This is a story that transcends geography, culture, language, and religion. It's a story of hope and, above all, about second chances. Joining me now to share his story is Braulio Rocha, photographer and co-founder, along with his wife Sonia, of Rocha Studio in Montreal, Canada. Braulio, welcome to When It Mattered. Hi, Chitra. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's 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 a real honor to be here in your in your podcast. Um, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about that day, that moment uh, a little over five years ago at the synagogue. What was the synagogue and, and what were you doing that day when you made the leap to photographer? What, what, what was that moment in time like? Well, it was just another morning. Um, I, I started my shifts at 6.30 in the morning and my job is to open the door at, 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 at 6.30 in the morning so that people can come in and, and do their morning prayers uh, on the small chapel. Um, the, the building has a, a big synagogue and a small chapel, and every morning there's there's a minimum service in my job. My first job was to open the door, make sure the door is unlocked so that people can come in and, and, and do their morning prayers. And then occasionally there's 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 bar mitzvahs, there's bris, there's little private events that happen. So my job was to be there, um, make sure the door is open. And then, you know, it's especially in the winter with snow and salt, uh, the floor gets really dirty. So my job is to keep the floor clean. Uh, especially, especially when there's there's events, uh, uh, you know, the place has to look good and clean. And this was just another um, morning in Montreal of my morning shift. It was supposed to be just another morning, like any other morning. Uh, and then there was this brace happening, um, and you know, me minding my own business. Uh, and then I I hear the grand grandmother of the baby. Uh, panicking almost because the bris is about to start, the photographer is not there, and they reach out to, to the photographer. And he uh, he had a, I don't remember correctly if it was a car accident or if a flat tire, he he there's he had an issue and he couldn't show. And it's it was that pivotal moment um, that, you know, I always wanted to be, I, I always loved photography. I was an amateur photographer. I always carry a camera in, my, in the trunk uh, of my car. And it's just that pivotal moment, some, something just hit me. It's like lightning strike went through my body. This energy went through my body. And it's, it's like it's now or never. I remember at the time I was reading a book. I always loved reading books about CEOs and, and you know, um, famous business people and how they started. And one word that is common in every single book, success book that I've read is the word initiative. It, it all starts with some kind of initiative, right? You have to take initiative. And I, I didn't even think. It was an impulse. I just grabbed my radio because the building is big. We communicate, the team of staff communicates with each other through walkie talkies. And I reach out to my boss who's also Portuguese. 
who's been in living in Montreal for decades now. He's the superintendent of the building. And I said, look, Jose, uh, the photographers in our show, I've, I've had conversations with you that I would like one day to pursue photography. And I have my camera in my car and there's no photographer. And I, I just want to take these pictures for them. Could you find somebody to come here and stay, take my spot for a couple of hours? I'm going to clock out for a couple of hours and shoot this event for this family. Now, when I asked him, I hadn't asked the family yet. So it was really a chance. Like it took a leap of faith. I took a chance. The family could have said no, right? Yep. So I asked my boss first. <laughs> and then I asked the family. I should, it should have been the other way around, right? But I just had faith. I had this faith that it's going to happen. It's now. So you asked and they said yes. And, my, and then my boss said, okay, I'm going to send Mario upstairs. Uh, good luck. So I went to the family and I pitched. What I did was basically a pitch. I pitched and your photographers are coming. I'm an amateur photographer. I have my camera in my car. Sorry about my appearance. I have my janitor uniform, uh, but I can do this for you. I'm not going to charge you anything because I'm an amateur. Uh, I'll just take the pictures for you and your family. And then she went and talked to her son, you know, very well-dressed family. You can tell this was a, a, you know, a wealthy family. Uh, and they were, the son was kind of looking at me, a janitor taking pictures of our breasts, but it's, it was either the janitor or no pictures, right? <laughs> So he said, uh, okay, 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 let's do it. Wow. And, so <laughs> and, and they did pay you, didn't they? So I, I took the pictures. I, I Adrenaline took over. So there was no fear in my heart because adrenaline just took over. I was not nervous. I, I, I felt like there was this higher power in charge. Like I wasn't in charge anymore. I, me, like the camera became a part of me as I'm doing this, right? And then I edited the pictures and I delivered the pictures a week later. And the grandma, she was so happy with the pictures that she gave me uh, 180, 100, I don't remember, 150, 180 Canadian dollars. And I was so happy. It was, oh my God, I make 1250 an hour and I just made $150. This is amazing. <laughs> well, one of the other key things, you know, you talked about initiative, but the other key thing is to be prepared. If you didn't have your camera in your car, you couldn't have reacted so quickly, right? I mean, that's the other big piece of it is you were prepared to jump when, exactly. when the opportunity came. Exactly. I always believe that um, there's, there's opportunities that happen in front of us every single day. We just don't see it. We're so busy. We're stuck in traffic. We, we're rushing to work. We're working. We have family. We have bills to pay. Like Life is lived in such a high speed these days. There, there, there's things happening in front of us that we don't realize that certain things might be an opportunity that's being presented in front of you and you're not seeing it and then you don't react to it. So your life is just going to be the same over and over and over again, right? Yes. And this was one of those moments where I just stopped and listened. I just stopped and listened. And then, and then my leg moved towards that grandmother, my right leg, and then my left leg, and then my right leg again. Next thing I know, I'm in front of her, and I'm pitching in to take the pictures. So how did that first Briss photography session lead to other sessions and for you to kind of become the featured photographer at the synagogue and its congregants? So, you know, once once the grandmother pays me, she's happy. It, it empowers me, right? Like, okay, this woman was happy with the picture. So maybe there's there's something here happening, right? And then there's, there's a perfect storm of, of events that contribute to starting a business. So I felt empowered, right? So I go and knock on the door of the, uh, uh, the director of the synagogue and I told her what just happened. Uh, and the synagogue organizes uh, its own events uh, sponsored by the synagogue. Purim, Hanukkah, um, you know, high holidays, um, all kinds of events. 
not the private one, like the bar mitzvahs and the bris and the weddings, those are private events. Families book the sanctuaries and, and the, the reception hall, they book the building and they host their own event, but events organized by the synagogue, right? And on the building of the synagogue, there's two schools. Um, and those two schools, they used to organize a lot of events in the synagogue, beautiful events, like for the kids and for the parents, full of colors, full of joy, full of love. And the synagogue would hire a photographer to capture these moments. And usually it was the same guy all the time, or they wouldn't hire a photographer at all. So I went uh, emboldened, you know, empowered by this grandmother who just loved the pictures. I, I just, one day I just feel myself with courage and I go with my janitor uniform and I knock on the door of the director and I said, hey, um, I, I want to talk to you about something. And, and then I pitched in and I said, instead of hiring a, a photographer, why don't you hire me? I'm here. I know the building. I know where every single shadow, where, where, where the light is falling in. I know everything about this building. I know how this building breathes. I know how this building talks. I know exactly where, what time the shadows are going to be in, in a certain specific time. So why don't you give me a chance? Let me do the pictures for you guys instead of hiring a photographer. And then they, they told me, Can, would you do one event for us for free? And then if you like it, we will work something out. So, you know, the next day I'm, I'm shooting an event. It was, they had a, they had a, um, somebody coming in for a conference uh, on a Tuesday night. I'll never forget Tuesday night. And I took the pictures and I, next day I presented them to the person in charge of social media for the synagogue and they loved the pictures. And then they, they made a proposition to me, you know, per event, we're going we're gonna to pay you $50. Um, you clock out, we pay you $50, create a business and we'll pay your business $50 per event. Uh, and then when the event is done, you clock back in. So you go back to your janitor. Basically, I would come in with my janitor uniform, do my work of mopping the floor and cleaning the toilets. And then if there was an event at 12, for example, clock out, change clothes, grab my camera, take pictures of the event. The event finishes at two, clock back in, put my janitor clothes again, go finish cleaning the toilets or, or mopping the floor. So the, these events organized by the synagogue that usually would include the two schools, they, 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 they used to have a lot of these events. So the parents of these kids started getting familiarized with me, seeing me with a camera around, right? So, and then they knew I was a janitor. And I, I, I think they could relate because, you know, they're part of a community whose ancestors also came to North America with nothing, right? They, they, they run away from genocide and from persecution. They come to North America with nothing. And this, this generation of parents is the generation who grew up listening to the stories of their parents or their grandparents who came to Montreal with nothing and built something. So they see me doing this and it's okay. This guy reminds me of my grandfather. So there was like, there was a, a connection there. So the parents see me all the time at the camera and eventually parent came to me, say, hey, I have my son's bar mitzvah coming up. Is, is this something that you do? And so it started. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an incredible story. And, you know, what a what an amazing sort of make or break opportunity for you, that first bris, given you know, all the more remarkable, given your childhood and where you were born and raised and how you were raised and all of the the early failures in your life, you know. So let's take us back a little bit in time to when you were in Portugal growing up, your parents, who you were then. And, and I think that also sort of brings into relief what what an amazing break this was for you. Yeah, so my my mom was born in Angola when Angola was still a Portuguese colony. Uh, and her family, my, my grandmother was black and my grandfather was, uh, I never met my grandfather, but I believe he was half black, half white, but my grandmother was white. 
and you know they had a good life in Angola before before the you know the war that started for independence. Uh, my mom had a good life. They had a, like a, from my mom's stories, they had like a huge farm. And my dad was born in Portugal, and his parents emigrated to Angola when my dad was still very young. Uh, so my dad grew up in Angola, even though he was uh, born in Portugal. Uh, and then he, you know, he, he grew up there. And then trouble starts when Angola wants independence, and and my father started working at a, as a photojournalist in for for a Portuguese newspaper, uh, you know, taking pictures of what, what was happening at the war. And then I met my mom. They fell in love, um, and. You know, th th their plan was to to have a life in Angola. Um, they both loved the country, uh, but then you know, with independence war, there was there was a lot of things that happened, and they had to leave Angola only with what they had in their body. They are basically war refugees, right? Um, and because they both had Portuguese passport, uh, they were allowed to to you know get on a plane and come to Portugal. So they basically, leave Angola. My mom was pregnant of me. They leave Angola and they lost everything, uh, everything that they had. They had to leave behind. So they come to Portugal with nothing. Um, and then, and then the newspaper my dad used to work closed down. He had to find a job. Um, and then he goes to to Madeira Island. Uh, there was a job opportunity. He goes to Madeira Island, and then my mom joins me. And then, you know, I'm, a, I'm and then I'm, I'm, I'm a year old or something. My mom joins my dad. And they had to start from zero, and and we were very poor. We lived we lived in I think in North America called project of social housing. It's it's you know apartment complex built by the government because uh, they couldn't afford to buy a house or buy their own uh, place. You know, so we 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 I was raised in a very poor uh, neighborhood, um, and I had I had a I had a very I had a kind of I don't know the word in English. A, a tree blood. It's like um, I had a, a childhood that wasn't peaceful. Turbulent. Like, turbulent. Turbulent. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had a, a bit of a turbulent childhood. You know, uh, we always had food on our table. Uh, uh, we always had sho shoes in our feet, and you know, my they put me to school, and I was a I was a really good student because I always had good muscle memory. Uh, but but um, my dad started growing this frustration in him because. Things weren't going good. Madeira is a very hard place. If you go to Madeira on vacation, it's a paradise. But if you work and live there, it's it's a, it's very very hard. And you know things weren't happening the way he was planning. So he he lashed out on me a little bit. And I had a he was he was violent. And many times he was violent with me. And I think I think the psychological effect of the violence that was thrown uh, towards me. Um, you know, I went from being a really good student to being a bad student, and then I just dropped out of school before I finish. I even finished high school, uh, and then, and then, you know, to make things worse, uh, my 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 parents then they're not getting along. Uh, they end up divorcing, and my mom got cancer, breast cancer. She's alive. She survived. Thank God. Uh, so I, I really had to go and 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 find a job. And you know, my brother and sister they they're younger than me. I, I we really wanted them to finish school. And it's 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 remarkable that the neighborhood that we grew up in, which is a neighborhood full of, uh, you know, there's there's problems like any poor neighborhood with drugs and unemployment uh, and violence. Uh, my my mom always did an incredible job keeping the three of us away from drugs. Like I've never had uh, drugs in my entire life, um, so it, she did a good job keeping us away from drugs and 
my brother who lives in Lisbon has a master in finance and my sister owns a, her own business in Lisbon and she's happily married. So she really did an amazing job keeping us away from trouble. Um, but I am the one who had to drop out of school. Uh, I just, you know, with, with, with the things that were happening at home, um, I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate. Um, so I didn't finish high school. Did your dad ever tell you what was uh, triggering his anger towards you and violence? I, I remember hearing when I was younger, I remember when he was frustrated. I remember hearing it's all because of you, it's all because of you, all the problems is because of you. Ever since you were born, it's just problem after problem. But you know, now I believe that uh, if, if financially things were better, I, I think he would have probably find professional help you know, and become, become, you know, become better. Like I don't hold it against him. I forgive him. We, we've, yesterday I, I FaceTime him so, so that he could see his granddaughter. Like I, I love my father. I, I love my dad. I, I get along with him. I forgive him. And I look back because um, there's psychological scars, right? And I, like, I, you know, I, I have to, I went to the doctor because sometimes I get upset also, not to the level of my dad, never. I remember being young and as I'm getting beaten by my dad, I remember thinking to myself, as I'm younger, clearly remember thinking to myself, I will never do this to, to a son of mine or a daughter of mine or a, my wife or anything like that. Uh, but I, I do have anxiety issues. Um, but because I have the means, I went and looked for professional help and I got that professional help. And, you know, I, 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 get, I have a treatment and I, get an, I have to take an anxiety pill every day, which helps me. My dad didn't have that. That's why I forgive him because we were poor. He didn't have that, that guidance. He didn't have that help. Yeah. Uh, so looking back, I think that, you know, that's, uh, that's why, you know, he never ha could handle his, his issues. And you said your, your mom came from Angola. So, you, you know, a mixed race marriage uh, and Madeira, is, as you said, is very homogenous. So what was, it must not have been easy for you uh, to have to deal with that as well, culturally, and, and especially with young kids, they can be pretty cruel. Right. Uh, so Madeira is, is it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, beautiful island. Um, it's 99% white Catholic conservative, right? And because it's an island, you know, we are, we are 900 kilometers away from the mainland, Portugal. So it's, it's isolated. It's, 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 it's a civilized place. Like if you go there on vacation, it's, you know, it's a beautiful civilized place and everybody, you know, you know there's, there's internet and there's, it's, it's not a third world island per se, but it's very conservative in, in their ways, right? So 99% is white conservative. And we move into this neighborhood where everybody's white and everybody's Catholic and everybody's very conservative. And we have a darker skin, right? Uh, and then growing up many times, I, you know, uh, at the time there was no, 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 no PlayStations or internet or cable TV. We didn't have a cable TV until I was like 18 years old. There was only one channel, right? So what do kids do? They play outside. We play soccer, which is religion in Portugal. <laughs> and we play all kinds of games outside, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, many times, like I got into a lot of fights. I had to defend myself. I didn't have a, an older brother. I didn't have cousins because we were alone in Madeira. It was just me, my parents, uh, my siblings who were much younger than me. So I had to get into a lot of fights to to defend myself. There was there was there was attempts of of bullying bullying me. Um, I I never I've I, I'm proud to say I never let anybody bully me without without getting back at them. Uh, but the main cause of bullying always would always be the color of the skin. And I would hear a lot, uh, you know, go back to Africa with your mom. The, we say in Portuguese, a preta, 
which in English is as offensive as the N word. Mm. Uh, so go back to Portugal with your with your mom. That what hurts me. The go, not not to Portugal. Go back to Africa with your mom. The N word. That's what hurted me the most when they would say to your mom. I mean, like I didn't really care when they would say things to me, but whenever they would say your mom the N word, that really upset me a lot. So here you were failing in school and uh, your early adulthood wasn't very spectacular either, but then there was a key event, I would say probably probably the first transformative moment in your life when uh, you met your wife, Sonia. How did that happen and and what result and impact did that, did that have on your life? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny the way it happened. So um, I'm, I, the island is very touristic. So most, the economy of the island is 100% based on tourism. Right, uh, and I worked in uh, in a restaurant in the in the marina area where all the yacht, you know, the yacht harbor and well the where all the cruise ships dock. So it's a restaurant that, like, 100% of the clientele, it's it's tourists. It's it's a bit of an expensive restaurant. And at the time, uh, my job was to um, approach tourists on the street and and convince them to to sit in 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 the restaurant to eat. And that marina is full of restaurants, so it's like it was very competitive, right, with all the other restaurants. And this one day at night, it was 11:30. You know, place was closing down, and I'm taking the uh, the bottle, the bottle, the the glass bottles to recycle to a recycling bin, a um, couple of meters away. And as I'm dumping, oh my god, I remember this vividly. Um, I see these two girls coming, and one of them is my wife. Now she's in Madeira because her parents are also from Madeira Island. They've been in, living in Canada for 40 years, 50 years, uh, but they always, they used to go back. They have a, a house for vacation there. So they will always go back on vacation. And this uh, hot summer night in 2012, my wife went with a Canadian friend and they were just strolling in, in the marina area because Madeira is a, an extremely safe place to be. You go, with, you go and you walk on any time of the night with your kids, just you and your kids and you, nobody will bother you. So it's you know, two girls walking along at night, it's incredibly safe. So she's just strolling around her friend. And I remember at the time, you know, I was very fit. I used to go to the gym every day. Uh, not so much now, <laughs> <laughs> but I was very fit at the time. So, and I remember she's coming and I immediately cut, she caught my eye. So usually I would, I would take bottles out of the bin until it's half full and then I would dump the rest. But I see these two girls, so I have to show up. So I just grabbed the whole bin, flexing my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> just so she could see my muscles. It was so stupid because I hurt my back. <laughs> <laughs> so I see her and she caught my eye and then she's walking towards the restaurant. So I'm walking past them very, very fast, really fast. And then I grab a menu and they're passing by and I say, hi, good evening. You know, Are you guys from around? And I say, no, we're from Canada. We're just passing by. We don't really want to eat now. So no, 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 the restaurant is calling, but let me show you the menu, come back tomorrow. Now it's a good place to eat, blah, blah. But I, I'm doing my job, but at the same time, you know, I'm being a bit naughty because this girl caught my eyes. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she came back the next day to for dinner. And then I asked her, you know, uh, what are you guys doing after this? Like, it's Friday night. Uh, oh, we don't know anybody. We don't know anywhere. Where should we go? And then I said, listen, uh, let me take you. Uh, let me take you. She was with a friend. The, the girlfriend that uh, went with her. Let me take you guys uh, to a local bar. It's fun, there's live music. Uh, we'll have some fun. And so it started. So you took the initiative once again, right? <laughs> yes, it's all about initiative, yes. So one fun. thing led to another, and I guess you followed her to Canada and that, and then you, you got married and you got the right. job at the synagogue. 
Right. So she comes back to Canada, this is summer 2012. She comes back to Canada. We stay in touch through Skype. Uh, New Year's Eve, Madeira, she goes back for New Year's Eve. She stayed there for three weeks and we really, really hit it off. Like, like we were together every single day. Um, we really fell in love. And a day before she left, she, she, she looks at me and she says, she loves me. And, and I was like, I'm so happy you said it because I think I love you too. And then she tells me, why don't you come to Canada? And in my wildest dream, like, come to Canada. I, like, I, I don't have money. I didn't have money. And she paid my ticket. She, 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 uh, she paid the ticket with like $1,000, not cheap, but she paid my ticket. She really trusted me. She really, you know, she barely knew me, if you think about it. Just a few weeks together in, in a paradise scenario, right? It's completely different from a day-to-day -day working environment, right? In a paradise scenario, everything is good. Everything works out, right? So she just, she really trusted her gut, I would say. And she, she booked a flight for me to come to Montreal. And I arrived uh, January 17, 2013 in Montreal. Wow. So, and then you got a job at the synagogue. It's the, I guess it's the Shar Hashomayim synagogue yeah, in Montreal. Yeah, Shar Hashomayim in yep. Montreal. And, um, and and um and what was it like after the uh, the homogenous culture of Madeira to be in this vibrant multicultural Montreal and then here you are from a conservative Roman Catholic background to be in you know at a Jewish synagogue what a, what a transformation oh my god yeah so i come from a place where you know um people from the lgbt lgbtq community they don't call them lgbtq they call them ugly names people who wear tattoos are either junkies or you know they come from jail or or they then they're criminals that's what i say people with tattoos are criminals uh, jews are also not viewed as very nice people muslims are also not viewed as very nice people muslims are all terrorists <laughs> that's what you that's the environment you know mm -hmm. so you come to canada and, and i was i was a bit a, a bit influenced by this is what i grew up uh, in right uh, now i had a, this little thing going for me which was the fact that my mom uh, you know, is she's mixed, so she she always gave us values of accepting everybody. But still, you grow up with everybody telling you these things, and you know, being the Catholic Church now is not the same as the Catholic Church in the eighties, which is you know my childhood, and and in the nineties, especially in an island like Madeira, which is extremely conservative, right? The Catholic Church is a bit more open now, but at the time, extremely conservative, right? And and it's very closed-minded. And then I arrived in Montreal, and uh, I, I see this, these, these colors, this, this, di this diversity, where everybody's so happy living in perfect harmony. I go to the gay village here in Montreal, and what do I see? Colors, vibrant, beautiful, people who love each other. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, wait a second, this is not what they told me in Madeira Island. <laughs> they look so happy. What's, what's wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Or when I see somebody who's a lawyer with tattoos, I say, this guy is not a criminal. He has tattoos, but he's not a criminal. So I start seeing this, you know, and then I start working at the synagogue. What do I see in this community that I, I grew up, you know, hearing things are not very nice. A loving community, inclusive. They want the same things as, as us. They, they work. They, 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 they have families. They love their families. They 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 very strong in, in community, the concept of community, they're philanthropists, and they're very inclusive. And I'm like, this is everything that I'm seeing in Montreal goes against every, you know, everything that I would hear from people 
growing up where I come from. It's not like that anymore. Madeira now, you know, internet and it's more open now. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't like that. So I was just a product of my environment and I'm so happy that I came here and I, I got to see how the real world is. And, and those are the values that I want to instill in my daughter, acceptance and, and, and you know, and enjoy this, this, this uh, um, multitude of, of different uh, colors and, and people and, and religions. And it's, it's beautiful. I love it. You're, and I'm sure that has sort of influenced you as a as a photographer. And you also have said that photojournalism, your style is, is photojournalism. I'm sure some of that potentially came from your dad being a photojournalist. But you also have this Hollywood influence because you're a big Hollywood movie fan and Tim Burton in particular. So your style of photography is very artsy and creative, not the run-of-the-mill bris and bar mitzvah shots. So. Tell us what are sort of some of your favorite photos that have been influenced by Tim Burton's movies or other movies and how that has, all of this has permeated into how you shoot your uh, photographs. Right, that's that's a wonderful question. Um, it, it started when I'm a janitor at the Shah and the Shah is an incredible building. It's the biggest synagogue in, in, in Canada, very majestic. And I'm, I'm in the back of the synagogue doing my job, you know, dusting the pews or vacuum. And there's a bar mitzvah happening in the front, in the sanctuary, right? And the photographer, he's taking pictures of the boy and the families, and he's staging the boy. He, ha he has the boy holding the Torah and with the talit on, with the kippah on, and posing for him in front of him. And, and I'm in the back, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing the full beauty of the synagogue with the lights coming from the window, with the shadows moving because the planet moves, right? The shadows are in a, a place now, but five minutes from now, they're in a different place. It's like the building is alive and talking and I'm listening to the building and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? Thinking about the photographer, what are you doing? Come here, see what I see. Like you're missing out big time. He's up there talking to you right now. He's up there, the King of Kings talking to you right now and you're not listening. So when I start shooting bar mitzvahs, I, I have this on me and I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, there is a message that I need to, I need to put this message in my, in my photography. So one thing that I do, whatever, because every synagogue is different. I arrived in a synagogue 10 minutes before anything starts, the place is dark. I, I just, I sit down in complete silence and I just listen. That's all I do. I listen. It's dark. I don't want no lights around me. I just want to listen. And the building talks to me, metaphorically speaking, the building talks to me, the building tells me what to do. And that's what I do. Now, the inspiration for what I do absolutely comes from 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 watching movies when I was growing up, you know, playing outside with my friends, they all wanted to mimic the great actors of the 80s and the 90s. I wanted to mimic the directors. I I had this fascination about camera movement, you know, the shadows, the darkness, the lights. I I always had this. I remember when 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 I used to go rent movies at the time, I would always check the name of the director and the name of the screenwriter and the producer and and I learned to to identify which movies were good and which movies were not to a point that my parents, you know, weekend, we would rent like two or three, um, the time was cassettes. Uh, they would send me to rent the movies because I was so good at it. Uh, so growing up when I was a young kid, I loved Tim Burton. I loved Steven Spielberg, um, you know, Ridley Scott, um, John McTiernan, um, Walter Hill, um, you know, just to name a few, I can remember all of them, but like, I used to love the way these guys used to, to direct the movies and and move you know the camera movement and 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 everything everything else. Now more recently, I became a huge fan of 
Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, my younger son's favorite director. <laughs> oh my god, the way he the way he he rebuilt the Batman trilogy, Interstellar, Inception. You know, uh, Denis Villeneuve, who directed Sicario, The Arrival, and now recently Dune. Um, so it's it's that type of cinematic, extremely dark, majestic, epic images that when you see, you go, wow, and it talks to you. So I was like, how can I bring this to my photography? I need to do this in my photography. And my playlist in my car, it's John Williams, it's Hans Zimmer, it's it's the great com- composers, you know, that they do the scores of all these great movies. And this is what feeds my brain, you know. Zack Snyder is also a director that I really like. Um, so I try to, I was, how do I bring this to a picture, a picture because these guys do video, right? It's, it's moving and there's audio and you can relate, right? How do I put this into a picture so that people when look at it, people go, wow. Like I don't settle for beautiful pictures. If you want beautiful pictures, there's a ton of photographers. I tell all my clients, you want beautiful, there's a ton of guys. I'm not your guy. I'm going to give you wow. I want you to look at my pictures and cry. That's and that's the expectations I put. It's high expectations, so now I have to deliver. I demand a lot of myself, and 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 that's a there's a lot of work. There's a lot of soul searching. There's a lot of uh, um, you know clo- just closing my eyes and and try to see where my brain is going to take me. And this is why I go I go to a synagogue when it's quiet and it's dark and and there's nobody else there. And you know and then and then I just listen. And then when I listen. When you just listen, you'll you'll hear it. The images will come to your head. And then when the images come to my head, I go into this zone and I have my team with me. I say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. On the ball, let's go. And I push them. Oh, my gosh, do I I push my guys? (laughs) (laughs) I push them, but then the results are just incredible. And I'm, I'm really proud. Like I have an incredible team. I call them the dream team. That's amazing. I want to go back to uh, religion for a minute. So as as we've talked about, you and your family are, you know, devout Roman Catholics. You grew up in a very conservative Roman Catholic culture, but you are spending all your time in synagogues, uh, you know, amidst the Jewish community. And the Shar, as you call it, is like the oldest Ashkenazi synagogue in Canada, going back all the way to 1846, home to immigrants from all over Europe, as you said. How has that influenced your views on on religion and how it can potentially, I mean, religion has been a hugely divisive force in the world, but also a great unifier. How has it influenced you in any way where you came from, but where you are now and how do you reconcile the two? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. It creates friction, uh, friction sometimes between, uh, uh, you know, me and my family. Um, as when growing up, you know, I was baptized and my daughter is baptized. I'm, I'm going to raise my daughter as a Catholic, but I'm not going to force her to be a Catholic. I always tell my wife when she's old enough to understand in this house, we're going to have a Bible. We're going to have a Quran. We're going to have a Torah and she's going to read all three of them. And, and then she will, whatever she identifies herself better. I'm I'm, as long as she's happy, I'm happy. And I'm doing this because I, I remember growing up and going to the church and having to confess to a priest and the priest telling me to pray, to do, do a Hail Mary or whatever, and God will forgive you. you. Just never, I never identify with that. I was, I robot. And if I ask why I, I get screamed at by the priest and I never liked that. Uh, and then I come to a synagogue and it's the opposite, you know, working, working as a janitor, right? I would hear a lot of uh, when the rabbi is talking and the rabbis always tell people listening to ask questions. But the priest, when I was growing up, 
didn't allow me to ask questions. I wasn't allowed to ask questions. But, and the rabbi said, ask questions. Don't settle for an answer. I said, why, but why, but why? And I started identifying with that. Also, inside a synagogue, I feel a connection that I never felt inside a church. Now, I tell this to my family. They get upset. But <laughs> I can't change <laughs> the way I feel, right? So I, I do have a preference because there's more freedom to express myself in a synagogue that there is in a church. The only time I got screamed at as a photographer trying to do my job was by a priest. And, and you know, most priests, are, most priests are, are, you know, they let me do my thing, but there's always rules. And, they're, you know, in a synagogue, there's just more of freedom to, to express myself. There's, there's, I feel the difference, the main, you know, there's a lot of differences, but the one that attracts me more in, in the Jewish culture is this constant search of knowledge that growing up in a Catholic um, environment, it was more a devotion to, to God and Jesus Christ that I never wanted to do. And in this one, I see a, almost an obsession for knowledge, knowledge, ask questions, you know, read books, watch movies. Uh, why is an apple red? You know what I mean? What's, what's gravity? Like, like, and I, I feel attracted to this because it, it has helped me to become a better person and a better photographer. So it's, it brings, it has, you know, it gives, there's a lot of friendly arguments with my family sometimes uh, because they don't understand. But I do feel more comfortable inside a synagogue than I do inside a church. <laughs> but you would never convert, right? Um, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Uh, sometimes when, in, when I'm in my own thoughts, the, the cross do comes through my mind, but I don't think I would ever do it. It would it would just create a lot of problems. My wife is Catholic. My her her family is Catholic. My family is Catholic. Um, so uh, that's off the table. Yeah. Well, one could argue you have the best of both worlds right now, and you know you are in such an you have such an incredible opportunity to as essentially an outsider to have such a rare and intimate glimpse of another culture, another religion, you know, the Jewish culture, Judaism, through some of the deepest and most intimate moments in a family's life where people come together through a bris or a bar mitzvah. And now, uh, from what I've read, you are now going to take it to that next level and be able to shoot Hasidic weddings, which, where, which is an even, it's a closed society and very few oh, people... Yeah have an opportunity to go in there. How, how did you get this opportunity? And, and are you excited about that? And, and I'm very excited about that. Actually, yesterday, I just, I delivered a Masidic wedding that I shot three weeks ago. And the family was beyond, like everybody texted me. They love the pictures. And, and today I got a phone call of, of a friend of that family that is getting married and referred by them. And, and, you know, I was telling my wife just before I talked to you, I was telling my wife, uh, get ready because we are in this market and this is, this is a closed market, um, which is, it's, it's, it is surprising. They know I don't hide from anybody. I'm, I'm Catholic. I just, when, when, they, when they first call me, you know, eventually the word spreads. There's this photographer, Portuguese photographer is Catholic, but his pictures are incredible and his story reminds us of our ancestors. So right there, there's a connection. And then I shot my first acidic wedding in 2020, right before COVID hit. And, you know, the family loved the pictures. And this is a family, they have a, a clothing business. They, it's not just the pictures, it's the experience, right? You have to give your clients a good experience. Then they hired me for all their, whenever they do uh, new collections, this family hired me for all the new collection, pictures of the new collections. 
And then this is a fa- an acidic family. So they, they, they opened up, you know, it's, it's a closed community, but this family gave me an opening. They loved the pictures. Then they told this other person whose wedding I shot in December 15th. She loves the pictures. Now she told another friend. And these, this community, they live in the most expensive postal code in Montreal. These are families who have a lot of kids. So once you fall into a family, even though they, they look very conservative, very humble, these are family that live well. Once you, you do a good job with the oldest kid, you're, you're set. And this is a market that I really wanted to get in because uh, it's a market that's going to keep me busy. There's no high season. It's all year. It's events all year. Uh, and I was, I'm surprised because I, got a, I finally got a foot in, in, in that door. And I'm, I'm getting in knowing that all the photographers in that community are Jewish and not just Jewish. They are acidic Jews. That's amazing. The community is now giving me who I'm not. I'm not Jew. <laughs> uh, they are giving me the responsibility to host their events. And I'm sure visually it's it's a it's an incredible opportunity. The the visuals of of a Hasidic wedding it, it must be amazing to be able to see that oh, yeah. and to and to document that. Oh yeah, it's it's so different. It's so interesting. It's it's and there's 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 certain things that we have to adjust. Uh, you know. Um, the dance floor uh, is uh, is separate, men in one side, women on the other. So I need to find a female photographer and a female videographer to shoot the women's side. Uh, uh, there's always throughout the event, there's no there's there isn't a single moment where we sit down and relax. There's always something meaningful happen, and you have to be aware of these things because they're very important for the families. Like you, you have to be focused and concentrated 100% of the time. And then there's the mitzvah dance, which is it's kind of, 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 of a party that starts after the party. The, the reception finishes at midnight, midnight 30, then starts another party called the mitzvah dance. And then I have another team coming in at midnight because we're exhausted, right? We just worked all day. <laughs> so there's another team coming at midnight because they're gonna, it's going to be until four o'clock in the morning. So it's, it's a huge logistic, uh, um, um, what's the word in English? It's, it's like logistically wise, it's, it's big. But it's also very rewarding. It's beautiful. It's a lot of energy. Uh, they don't stop dancing. You know, when when you look at those communities, when you you see on TV, they look. They have this very humble uh, way of looking, right? Uh, but they party. <laughs> they party. And that's that makes for great photography. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible reactions. Incredible. And uh, so I want to circle back to what you said about your father, uh, and you know, going back to your personal life here. Uh, you said you for- forgave your father. Do you think being in a religious environment all the time and being close to God in one way or another, you know, just by your vir- virtue of being in that physical space, uh, do you think those things have helped you forgive your father? Would it have been harder had you just been any photographer just doing your day job rather than, you know, documenting these most religious, intimate religious ceremonies in a person's life? Uh, definitely being in an environment that I am brought me closer. You know, I wasn't much of a God believer when I came to Canada. And right now I'm a huge, I, I believe in God. I believe he's leading the way and I'm just following. I believe he's the one telling me what to do. And I'm through my work. I'm also showing people in Portugal and Madeira Island, what the Jewish community is about. So I believe I'm, I'm, I'm playing a role here and in, in spreading a word. You know what I mean? And being closer to God definitely 
brought me closer to forgiveness also. And the fact that we start, our life starts to improve. We start making money. And then, you know, I have anxiety issues. It was very obvious that I, I had issues that needed to be resolved. And my wife has been incredible. Oh my God. And I cannot state enough that without Sonia, there's no rushes. There's no bar mitzvah. There's no success. Um, and Sonia said, uh, you know, let's, let's go to, uh, you know, let's go to a psychologist and because, because maybe because of your issues with your dad, when you grow up, you know, there's scars in your head that you need to fix. And that's what we did. And I got the necessary help and I'm, I became a much better husband and a much better person. And then, and then I just, you know, as, as I'm feeling good with myself again, I'm at peace with myself. I'm thinking to myself, I wish my dad had this kind of help. Maybe he would have become also a better person. Yeah. You, and today, as you pointed out, you have a very successful life. You have a new cameras, new home, new cars, new clothes, yeah. new team, uh, <laughs> and, and a packed schedule. You've got a lot yeah. of fans and you have a, a two-year-old daughter. Yeah. Look, looking back on your life, you know, what would you say to your younger self, to that school dropout, that failed adolescent and adult, that janitor in janitor clothes mopping the synagogue floor? And what would you say to your young daughter about this journey that you've been on? You know, I, looking back, I believing in God the way I believe now. Looking back, I see that it was all, it was everything was so difficult to me, so that I could appreciate what I have now. It's you know, because because I never want to go back to that. I never want to go back to living paycheck by paycheck, right? That's why I work so hard every single day. Basically, in in simple words, <laughs> bluntly, I never want to be poor again that's just how it is so everything that i went through it was absolutely necessary so that i could be what i am today if things were easier for me then i wouldn't be where i am today so looking back if i if i would if i could travel in time and see the young brawler and seeing the suffering that he's going through and you know dropping school and working so hard in a restaurant 13 14 hours a day no day off for six hundred dollars a month you know uh, uh, living with my mom because I couldn't afford to have my own place. I didn't even have a car. I I used to take the bus every day to go to work. I would just sit back and watch. I wouldn't change a thing because if I would change anything, then I wouldn't be here. So I would just maybe I would go to Brawley while he's sleeping and whispering in here on his ear, hold on tight, things will get better. But you have to go down this road. You have to. Because of COVID-19, have you had any kind of insights into death you know you spend a lot of your time shooting images about life and bar mitzvahs and brises and you know things that celebrate life but given COVID-19 right we are all also thinking about the fact that so many people have died and so many people have come close to death and we're all under under the risk of COVID-19 has that made you given you any sort of thoughts about the future any moment of a moment of clarity you know brought upon by the pandemic of course, first of all, you know, in Quebec, the, the restrictions last year were, were very uh, strict. So suddenly everything we have for granted is gone, right? The simplest thing, like going to see my wife's parents with my daughter so she could spend time with her grandparents, we couldn't do that for months. We just weren't allowed to do that. So you lose that human touch, you know? So you start to value those things more, you know? Uh, uh, and, and you start to think, oh my God, I wish I, I, I had enjoyed more the, you know, being with 
with with my friends being with my family and we can't do anything now we're stuck in we stuck home and and we're afraid to get this virus and we're afraid to die you know what are we going to do uh you know so especially with everything that we used to do every day that was automatic in our brains and our body and suddenly you can't do that anymore uh it gives a different perspective everything we had for granted now it's gone so you value those things more i i especially value those things a lot more now i'm so blessed i think it's a miracle with all the events that i've shot in the last year and a half and i got tested so many times i never got the virus uh i i still don't understand how is that possible all my friends got infected and none of them had this contact with public like i have you know in weddings and and in bar mitzvahs surrounded by people uh and i'm i'm extremely blessed uh and i i'm very thankful for that uh and then during covid also uh you know there's no events all the events get canceled they get uh postponed and suddenly you're not making money right so we 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 had savings but not, we're not making any money i don't want to touch my savings the government of canada was giving a, a this grant federal grant for small business owners like me uh but i i didn't i didn't want it to do that because i i've learned that a a to me personally a salary becomes a salary you know you become dependent of a salary and it makes you think that you absolutely need a salary to live and when i became a business owner i learned that no you can make your own way you don't have to depend on anybody else right so the government is giving these grants and i said no i'm not going to take these grants i'm going to go do i'm going to go work there's there's even though everything is closed there are businesses out there there are probably need people to work so i grabbed my car and i went and did deliveries for 3 days uh chitra i i but i could have stayed home because we had the savings but i did deliveries for 3 days i wanted to make money for me and my family and then the, the the time that i also had available i educated myself in photography i educated myself in the business side of photography because being being a good business owner is a lot more important than being a good photographer because i know a lot of talented photographers who are broke and i know a lot of photographers who are not that talented who make a lot of money and take care of their families and obviously the sweet spot is when you can be both i believe i'm both and and especially the business part of you know owning a business i became much better at it during covid because now i have the time to to learn more to educate myself more you know come to my studio there isn't a single book of photography not one it's full of business type of of books ceos and marketing and that's that's how i i focus myself into and then during covid you know i'm doing good uh you know even though the world is in lockdown i can't complain of the life that i have i i this one day i was like what if i what if i can help others you know there's a lot of people out there who need help so i went and created a group on facebook called wedding photography education a guide for beginners and it's a it's i created a group to teach photographers everything related to event photography the technical part uh but also the business part and i'm very passionate about the business part it's that's how you take care of your family right mm-hmm. and the group grew in less than a year to 4300 members and it's growing and it's 4300 photographers from all over the world who come to me for mentorship and 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 guidance and i'm so happy one of one of photographer joined the group 6 months ago and he texted me yesterday saying oh my god bro you just i follow all of your advices and i just booked my first wedding and i'm making 2000 
And it's, this, this fills my heart with joy. And this, this was all possible because of COVID. That's amazing. Braulio, thank you so much for joining me on When It Mattered and for sharing your most fascinating uh, and inspiring story. Thank you for having me. Was, this was incredible. It was, it was so good. It was such a big pleasure being here with you guys. Really appreciate it. Braulio Rocha is a Portuguese Roman Catholic immigrant to Canada and star photographer to Montreal's Jewish community, specializing in bar mitzvahs and soon Hasidic weddings. He's the co-founder, along with his wife, Sonia, of the Rocha Studio in Montreal. You can check out his photography at his website at rochastudio.ca or find him on Facebook or Instagram. This is When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. When It Mattered is a podcast from Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups with brand strategy, positioning, and narrative. Our producer is Jeremy Kaur, founder and CEO of Executive Podcasting Solutions, with production assistance from Kate Cruz. Our creative advisor is Adi Weinland, and our research and logistics lead is Sarah Muller. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you like the show, please rate it five stars, leave a review, and do recommend it to your friends, family, and colleagues. For questions, comments, and transcripts, please visit our website at goodstory.io or send us an email at podcast at goodstory.io. Join us next week for another episode of When It Mattered. I'll see you then.